0: everybody. How are you? We're going to preach first, not we are not, I am going to preach first, and then we're going to go back into a time of worship so you can be seated. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter, let me pull it up. I think it's three. Yeah, that's right. Exodus chapter three, verse 13. I just want to take a few minutes and set set the tone for worship. Because worship is kind of Wednesday night. We kind of emphasize it a little bit. And if you're watching online, we're so glad that you've tuned in and uh, open up your Bible as well. And then we're going to go into a time of worship. And I, and I pray that you'll enter in with us and you'll go after God together. In, in Exodus chapter 3, let me give you the backstory, And uh, you, you know the story of Moses. Maybe you've seen the movie. And uh, the, the, the people, the king, the pharaoh was afraid of the Israelites because they were growing and they were multiplying and they were becoming too big. And so he said, let's kill all the baby boys. And Moses' mom said, no, not this one. And he put him in a basket, floated down the Nile. And the Pharaoh's daughter found him, took him out. The, 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 his sister was on the banks. I'll just give you the, the little quick version. Anyway, the, the mama, his real mama raised him for a few years, but then he went and was in the, Pharaoh's, in the Pharaoh's house. And so he had the best education, the best opportunity, the best privilege. And he, and he knew he had a calling on his life, and he knew, he knew he was an Israelite, but he was living in this Egyptian, so he kind of torn between the two. And he was out one day, and an Egyptian was beating an Israelite. And Moses couldn't take it anymore, and so he, he, he killed him. And he buried him in the sand. And now he's a fugitive. So he runs off to the desert. And we don't know a lot what was going on in the desert. We do know that at the time of Exodus chapter 3, he's, he's defeated. He's discouraged. He's working for his father-in-law. He's about 60 years old. And, and he goes out to, to do what he'd been doing for every day, for 40 years, trying to find food and water for the sheep. And he's, and he's doing his thing. And he sees a bush that catches on fire, but it's not burning up, like it's desert, so it's dry. So it should have just went up, but it's burning, but it's not, it's burning, but it's not frying. And so he takes a step towards it. And when he takes a step towards it, Moses said to God, suppose I, oh, let me back up because that's a little bit too quick. So, so they have a conversation between God and Moses and, and God says, hey, I've chosen you, Moses, I want you to go back and lead the people out of Egypt, my children. I'm going to take them into a, a land flown with milk and honey. They're going to be blessed, and I'm going to use you. And this kind of freaks Moses out because he's a murderer. He's, a, he's on the run. He hadn't done much for 40 years. And so then he says to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your father has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? And, and, and then he, then what shall I tell them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. He wasn't asking him, like, what do I call you? Like, because a name meant so much more back then. It was, it was where you were from. A name was, was what authority you had. A name was what power you had. A name was what you represented. So it wasn't like, like I'm going to call you Stan. He wasn't looking for that kind of name. He was looking for what's the backing behind you sending me. What, what am I going to tell them? Who am I going to tell them is backing me in this endeavor? And God said to Moses, just say, I am who I am. And that's not a name. That's a verb. That's a verb phrase. And, and God was saying, look, it's, it, I'm going to be everything. And for the next few first Wednesdays, I want to talk about this I am. And, and I want to get a little bit deeper into it. And this is what you say to the Israelites. I am is I am, not I am. I am, has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, I am, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. So, again, over the next few Wednesday nights, I want to talk about the I I am and what that means. And Moses would soon find out that I am is greater than he thought. That I am is greater than you and I think thought think. The over Let's what happened to Moses. The overwhelming greatness of God called Moses to, to respond in a way that, that brought and invoked the favor of God. He responded humbly. He responded submissively. He, he responded in surrender. He took off his shoes because somehow he realized he was standing on holy ground. He was in the presence of greatness. And he knew that only from that posture could he receive the next words from the Lord. This is what I'm finding out. Many Christians have not rejected God, but we have reduced God. We've kind of put him in our mindset, in our, in our understanding. The God we serve is often just a little bit bigger, a little bit better versions of ourselves. And because of our perception, for the most part, we don't approach God with our sandals or our shoes off. We are at times casual, we're flippant, and we're matter of fact. And I, and I get pushed back because I hear, well, that's the Old Testament thing. And we're in the New Testament. It's a different God in the New Testament. We think in the New Testament we exchange a holy and righteous and just and all-consuming and all-powerful and all-knowing God for a meek Jesus, for a mild Savior, for a, for a Jesus that all he did was toss kids in the air and put lambs on his shoulder. And, and I want you to know that even in the New Testament, every response when somebody saw the glory of God was the same response That Moses had. It was the same response with fear and trembling. It was the same response with humility and surrender. It was the same response with awe and majesty. If you look at Peter, Peter just and the disciples had just been fishing all night, couldn't catch a thing. Jesus comes and says, hey, cast your net on the other side. And when they did, they caught such a catch that the fish began to tear the net. And when Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus knees and he said go away from me lord i am a sinful man when he got in the presence of god he he realized his insignificance and he and he got a glimpse of the significance and the power of god and all he could do was fall at his knees and say, "I am sinful. I I am not like you. You are high and holy and lofty. And I need more. I need more of you in my life." It's the same of Isaiah in Ch- Isaiah chapter six, where Isaiah gets this glimpse of God. And what does he cry out? "Woe is me, a man of unclean lips." You know. You know what? In essence, he was saying is, "I'm guilty. I, I, I've sinned before God." And he and he was in awe of the presence of God. When, when the transfiguration took place, that's when Jesus took a few of his disciples up on the mount. And the Bible says that his, that his countenance became like the sun and his, and his clothes were dazzling white. And, and, and God the Father said, hey, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Listen to his words. And this was the response from the disciples. When they heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. They got a picture. They got a glimpse of the glory of God. And it wasn't. Oh, it's just meek, mild. No, no, it's sovereign, holy, just, righteous God. We, we got we to gotta be careful what, what's going in, in Mark chapter 4. It's the story. Now, I'm just going through these quickly. And again, I'm trying to set us up for worship that we won't come flippantly, that we won't come casually, that we won't come matter of fact. But we'll come into God's presence with a sense of awe and respect and reverence for who he is. It was, the, it was the Jesus calming the storm in Mark 4. And the disciples set off to get across the sea, and, and, and a big storm came up. And it must have been a terrible storm, because these guys were expert fishermen. They've, they've seen their share of storms. But this one was so bad, they thought they were going to die. And one of them goes down below and gets Jesus and said, Teacher, don't you even care that we're perishing? And, 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 and Jesus responds, and he, and he comes out and and, and, and they say, we're going to die, Jesus, if you don't do anything. And so what did Jesus do? He stepped out on the bow of the boat, and all he said was, peace, be still. When, when you rebuke something, you have authority over it. And it was almost like a parent rebuking a teenager. And it really, literally, what it means in the Greek, he was saying, be quiet be, and stay quiet. In other words, he was putting the storm in time out. And, and what happened was at that point, Mark says disciples who had been afraid of the storm now were greatly afraid. He said to the disciples, why are you still afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified. They were afraid they were going to die. Now they're terrified. And they ask each other, who is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When, when, when they got a picture of Jesus, the they were, they were more afraid of the rescue than they were of the storm. The rescue scared them more than the potential death. Through the Seeing Jesus calm the storm was more terrifying than thinking they were going to die in the storm. Here's, here's another thing, and I'm going to wrap it up, and you, hopefully it's going to make sense to you. John gets a picture of Jesus. gets a revelation in the book of Revelation. And now, just in context again... John was the beloved. John was the disciple Jesus loved. They were pals. John, I mean, he was so close to Jesus that he lay on his breast during the Last Supper. And you got to be pretty close for a man to lay on another man's breast at a dinner party. Like, that's tight. And, 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 and they, they were buddies. And, and, when they, and when John saw him, they didn't fist bump. They didn't warm embrace. They didn't high five. This is what happened. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man. And he was dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool and as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. And his feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was the sound of a rushing water. And his right hand he held seven stars. And coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was like the sun shining in its all its brilliance. And when I saw him, I didn't fist pump him. And I didn't high-five him. And I didn't say, oh, there's my homeboy Jesus. No, I, when I saw him, I fell at my feet. As though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and he said, and this is what Jesus always does when you come in reverence and respect. Don't be afraid, because I'm the first and I'm the last. When John, when John saw Jesus in his glory, he didn't bust out into a chorus, I am a friend of God, even though he was. He fell on his feet, he fell at his feet as though he were dead. And that's not a figure of speech. He, he literally thought he was going to die. And why would Jesus do that? In the context of this passage, the church was about to go through a season of intense persecution. Jesus knew the only thing that was going to sustain that early church was jesus a picture of Jesus sitting victoriously above it all. Not, not, some, not some weak, timid figure of their imagination, but a triumphant, victorious, bright, shining... All-powerful, all-living God. If they were going to endure the terrors of the tribulation, they needed someone more awesome than the tribulation was terrible. In the season that we're in, COVID, uncertainty, tension, divide, conflict, unprecedented times that we're in, we need more than a sentimental Jesus sitting beside us stroking our heads. We need more than a soft, Jesus sympathizing with us, coddling us and crying with us as we face this, the future with uncertainty. We need a God of infinite glory who sits on the throne of his universe, who spoke the exist- who spoke it into existence with a word, and who sustains it by his hand, and who's coming back with a vengeance. We need need to be reminded this evening that our God is holy and powerful, that he's omnipotent and omnipresent, that he's enduringly strong and eternally steadfast, that he's unparalleled and unprecedented, that he is supreme and preeminent, and he is able to do all more than we think, hope, or imagine. Listen, we're, we're about to go into, again, we're going into a time of worship, and you will never find... You will never find God manifesting his glory and his power where he's not reverenced and respected and held in high esteem. He will not come into an environment where he is not held with complete honor. It doesn't matter how good our worship is, doesn't matter how great we sing, doesn't matter how great the preaching is, doesn't matter how scriptural the prayer is. If God is not feared, You know what draws, you know what gets the attention and draws the presence of God? It's the fear of God. It's a holy respect and reverence for Jesus and his name. Jesus taught us to pray, our Father which art in heaven, hollow would be thy name. The word hollow means to respect our honor, our revere his name and what his name represents. And when we do that, we are ushered into the presence of God. There's a, one more story in the Old Testament. It's, it's back in the time of Moses and Aaron, and, and, and Aaron was the, the priest of the day. He was responsible for the sacrifices, and he had six kids, and, and this story is told about two of them, and let me read it to you, and then we'll worship. Aaron's son, Nadab and Abihu, <laughs> don't act like you nobody knows what that is, Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, And added incense. So, this was their job. This is what they were supposed to do. So far, so good. And they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. Unauthorized means profane or unholy. It means to treat what is sacred as common, to treat what is holy as ordinary. Webster's one word definition is irreverence. Two men authorized to come into the presence of God, but they came in with a spirit of irreverence. They lacked respect. They didn't come with the right awe. They came carelessly. They came casually. They came flippantly. And what happened? So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them. And they died before the Lord. Two men were instantly judged for their irreverence. They, they, theirs, they were met with immediate death they sinned by approaching god as common they they had come listen listen they had come too familiar with his presence it's just another night it's just another song it's just a it's just another no 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 this is this is the night this is the song this is the god who's worthy of our highest praise and here's what moses said he 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 said it to everybody every What has just happened? These guys, irreverence, called God's judgment. What is happening? What does this mean? And Moses laid this out among those who approach me, I will be proved holy. In the sight of all people, I will be honored. It's what, I, what Moses called a universal and eternal degree. Universal means it applies to everyone, every created being that's ever been. And it's eternal means it always has been and it always will be. God says you cannot come into my presence without a holy fear, without a respect, without a reverence, without an attitude of humility, without an attitude of awe. Listen, listen, listen. We, I thank God. He's the God of comfort and the Holy Spirit. And I'm not making light of that. But we serve an almighty, all-powerful God. Jesus is not a sissy. Jesus is not a wimp. Jesus Jesus is not soft. Jesus is not some precious figurine that you got in. Jesus is holy. Jesus Jesus is powerful. Jesus is mighty. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is worthy of all our respect, of all our fear, of all our awe, of all our worship. When, when Adam went before the Lord, when Moses went before the Lord, he said, well, who do I tell is gonna send me? And he said, I am is sending you. And Moses would find out that I am is big and I am is powerful and I am is God. And beside him, there is no other. Amen, everybody. Stand with me, will you? Lord, we thank you. For the greatness of our God. Lord, your word declares that there's no God like you, that all the idols are but rubbish. Lord, there's no other God that can do what you've done or does what you do. Lord, you are you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so tonight, we come into your presence with, with reverence. We come into your presence with respect. Come on, pray with me, will you? Lord, we come into your presence with honor. We thank you for who you are, that you are the victorious king, that you are the first, and you're the last. You're the beginning and you're the end. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are God to the glory of your Father. Lord, we we're not going to give you a little worship. And if you're watching online, I encourage you to stand up right where you are. Lift your hands towards heaven and with humility and with surrender and with a spirit of reverence and, and gratitude. Will you lift your voice to God and lift your heart to God and and declare your love and declare your devotion and express your praise to the one who is, to the one who was, and the one who is to come. Let's worship.